So today we're on number two, chapter two of um, the complete sayings of Jesus. And I'm just going to read through the text for anybody that may not have had the scriptures written down so we can all have an idea of what it is that we're talking about. And today's passage is coming from the book of Matthew. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. And when he had gathered the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. They said, in Bethlehem of Judea. Then Herod privately called the wise men and inquired of them what time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, search diligently for the child. And when ye have found him, bring me word that I may come and worship him also. The wise men departed, and lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them till it stood over where the child was. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they saw the child with Mary, his mother, they worshiped him and they opened their treasures and presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, the wise men departed into their own country another way. When the wise men were departed, Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the child to destroy him. Joseph arose, took the child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod. When Herod was dead, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and go take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel. But Joseph heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod. He was afraid to go thither. He turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in Nazareth. Nazareth. And uh, we're going to stop right there for the word. I'm going to put up some things here that um, are, I think I've already got this one set up and ready to go. Uh, just some data and information. I think, wait a minute, I got to share it first. Okay. Um, I had it all queued up and then I came out. So I got to go back in again. Uh, but just basics. I always like to, whenever I can, just get information uh, for those that are interested in the informational aspect uh, about what the text is addressing. So, can everybody see my screen? Yes. Okay. Where was Nazareth located? It's a, it, a city in Israel, in the city of Lower Galilee, in the northern part of Israel. It is the largest Arab city of the country. Uh, and so, I'm, I'm waiting for this to go, it's going kind of slow here. Um, 
I brought that in because a lot of times I think people don't make the association with Arab, uh, the Arab element. Um, Nazareth is associated with Jesus's boyhood home, as well as the synagogue where he preached the sermon where he was basically rejected uh, by his countrymen. And they were actually offended and uh, incensed and came out with the word, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And I'm reminded of that even with myself because I want to say Nazareth maybe had about 100 pe 150 people. So I also wanted to get the idea of how far was Nazareth from Jerusalem, and it's about 64 miles. And again, remember, we're talking about moving and traveling by donkey. It is in Galilee, and uh, it is, is in the northern ter territory of Palestine. Um, and I think that's all I had on that. Herod, I did want to bring up the point that he's also known as Herod the Great because there are several, Herod is a title. He was born in Edom and uh, he died in Jericho. And the time of his life was from 73 BC to about 4 BC. And it's during this period of time that Jesus is born. The record, the, the, uh, Summation and and most people scholars believe that Jesus was born somewhere between 6 and 4 BC Which would have been at the end of Herod I also pulled up a little bit of information about Herod's children. You, you might lose my picture here because I'm gonna I'm a flip over He had Herod Antipas, Herod Archelaus, Antipater, uh, Herod II, Philip the Tetrarch, Aristobulus Alexander, Salampsio, then his daughter was Salome. He also had a son by the name of Frizzell, uh, Herod, so Cyprus, Frizzell, Herod IV, Roxanne, and Olympias was also a daughter. I wanted to bring up the idea of, that's a whole lot of kids, and we do hear them talking about him uh, from time to time, those different kids, as we find out, they start reigning in his stead after different ones of them are um, died or removed, killed, whatever was going on in that day and time, because it wasn't uncommon for them to violently take over the kingship. Um, I also want to deal with the idea, Herod as a title, because it's not just a matter of a person. And and do you not find that a lot of times people think when they hear Herod, they think that you're talking about the specific person, Herod. But again, it's a title because they were false uh, or mock kings that were appointed uh, over the Jews by the Roman Empire in hopes of kind of keeping the people in check by having somebody from their uh their people rule over them but it was also the reality that they really didn't have any power they just were puppet kings at that particular point in time um anything that you all want to interject there on any of the just logistical information about the location and um the kings the herods that came Again, it's Herod the Great during the time of this particular passage. Uh, I do want to bring up, and, and again, this is up for debate, and um, 
scholars are debating now, there was a Bethlehem of Judea, but there's also a Bethlehem in Galilee. And so the argument is uh, you have only two writers that give the account of him being born in Bethlehem of Judea. Uh, one of the reasons why I did show the distance, uh, the 64 miles between Jerusalem and Bethlehem uh, of Galilee uh, and where they ended up was Nazareth, which was in Galilee. So the argument is this. Remember that Mary is nine months pregnant. Remember that they're traveling by donkey. And there is a Bethlehem in both locations. One is in the northern part, which is where they end up settling in Nazareth in the northern part of Palestine, which again is Arab. And the other one is in the southern part, south of Jerusalem. And so if, in fact, it was uh, Bethlehem of Judea, then at nine months pregnant, Mary and Joseph because Bethlehem of Judea is actually four miles southerly from Jerusalem. So you're talking about a total now of 68 miles. They traveled with her in the ninth month, uh, 68 miles on a donkey. So now I've never had a child, but uh, I can only imagine what it would be like to travel that far on a donkey, 68 miles. And so, there's also the archaeological element that they're saying they're unable to find artifacts that correlate to that. Um, they started doing archaeological digs in Bethlehem of uh, Galilee, which is northerly. And so the, the people of antiquity, they do have a national college. The people of antiquity insisted that they stop because for Orthodox, which would be um, Orthodox uh, Christianity, as well as, uh, and I, I say Christianity and separate it out from Catholicism, because those are still two kinds of different orthodoxy. So uh, antiquity, which is kind of covering both of those of Orthodox, insisted that the dig be stopped because they felt like that was and is um, basically uh, uh, throw in the face to the scripture that says he was born in Judea. So when you actually get to 200 years worth of time, the early church neither identified where he was born specifically, nor did they really identify what year he was born. And that's why there continues to be this big argument about when and for some, if Jesus was born. Now, that also flies in the face of the fact that we know, according to scripture, that the Jews really wanted to what I want to disqualify the idea that uh, Jesus's existence was and is because again, they paid people after he was raised from the dead. They paid people to say that it was a lie and that his disciples came and stole him away. So all of this kind of continues in the conspiracy theory that people have between orthodoxy and people that have come afterwards. And I think for the ones that have come afterwards, they're saying they're not trying, number one, they're not necessarily trying to go in the way of orthodoxy anyway, but the idea that he was in actual 
uh, Bethlehem of Galilee, which means if he was Bethlehem of Galilee, then he basically traveled um, four to eight miles to get to uh, um, when they went to Nazareth. Now, the flip side of that too, though, is, and I'm just throwing this out here and you guys can kind of weigh in on what your thoughts are. The flip side of that also is when Herod went looking for him, it would make sense that he traveled farther away to not be discovered versus four miles away. I I would think that if it was just four to eight miles away, then um, he would have had enough soldiers and enough army scouring the vicinity to put their hands on him. So, I mean, that's a... Uh, argument that can kind of be able to make sense of the argument of those that are saying that they don't believe that it was the Southern. And of course, too, let's take in the political elements of you still got war going on between those people <laughs> in the Arab and the Israeli states against the Palestine. I mean, all of that fight that's still going on in my sense of feeling and i haven't done enough study to really uh know the region well enough and so maynard or sheila you all may have a better way in on this than i do but you also have to take the political of each of these each of these different uh people that are arguing against each other it would make sense that Arab state would want to say he was born up here versus the southern Israeli state and, and and correct me isn't it the Arabs and the Israeli separated I'm trying to remember which one is considered Palestinian and which one is not you guys can maybe help me out a little bit on that for sure generally references to Palestinians is uh, talking about Arab people Okay, so that that was kind of my my takeaway that because you'd be talking about the Arab area of the Bethlehem of Galilee over the Israeli area of Bethlehem of Judea, I can also see why they'd want to have a little bit of argument there as to um, I'm gonna say claim to fame, even though I don't know that either one largely um, did any following because I think even afterwards and even to date what I could see is that the area of uh, the Arab side is 60% Muslim and 30% Christian. So you still don't have a large Christian following, but again, it still would give the ability to have the argument that Jesus was born uh, in an Arab location versus where the Israelis were. Any any comments or input on that argument? And that is currently going on right now that that is being debated as to whether or not he actually was born in Bethlehem of Judea or Bethlehem of Galilee. Judea being Southern and Galilee being Northern. <laughs> no, is that is, is that new information to you guys? Have you heard that before? Were you already aware that that little tug of war was going on? Because it was news to me when I started studying. It's news to me, but when you when you mention it, then I can kind of understand 
more of what's going on between them now. You know, when you think about they're still fighting over land and who did this and who did that. Yeah. Yes. That, Yes. Sheila, were you getting ready to say something? I was just going to say I wasn't aware of the contemporary argument about it, but uh, it, it makes sense. And also because of the prophecy that's fulfilled, and I meant to put that up, but I didn't get it. If you all remember, it said out of um, the branch, it talks about the prophetic in Isaiah about the branch and Bethlehem literally brings in the, the because it, it means when you get the actual interpretation, it means the branch. So uh, subsequently, you can see how both of them would want to have that that connection to and and feel like they were the fulfillment of and uh, yet and still, um, as is the case. Uh, many times here in our country, you can have a Lincoln, Nebraska, you can have Lincoln, uh, you know, different states all use the same name for that city. And so it can be very confusing, uh, depending on if somebody gives you the locale or not. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to bring up too, Matthew is the only one that brings up the story of the star. And uh, that still has a lot of hot spot conversation as to astrology, astronomy, whichever way you want to go with it. Did any of that come up? And then we'll get into the teaching, but did either of those uh, ideas, did that pop up in your mind as to astrologically or astronomically, the idea of this star that the men from the East came to see? Nothing for me about the star itself, um, knowing just a little bit about um, stars and, and how they move in the universe. It was interesting to me that it was described as moving and then being still over the place where the child was. So that was interesting to me why they described it that way, but otherwise I didn't have anything. Cool. Maynard? No, I, I, I didn't have anything on it. Oh, I thought I was going to get a little rise out of that, but not, not, not from, not today. <laughs> I, I know a lot of people that still, because of the argument between Christianity, traditionally so, and people that study astrology, uh, which is based on the signs and the stars, you know, there's always that argument that seems to continually uh, perpetuate itself around that idea that these men were actually following a star and the star led them to where Jesus was. So anyway, but I'll, let me let me move on. I want to go to the idea from the very beginning where it says that, okay, when Herod the king heard these things, he called for the wise men. I'm interested in the reality that, and I'm going to have the Jewish people represent the church and the wise men represent the population outside of the church. Why is it that it seems that the outsiders to the church seem to get to the truth and the knowledge many times in very, very significant scenarios before the church people do how is it that here they have the messiah being born right amongst them and they are absolutely positively clueless 
You're talking about the church people. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm making that analogy here. <laughs> you got men that well, come it, from far, far, far away. And I'm kind of making this point for a reason. Uh, and I guess if I just interject my own little thought here, I, I, I find it that many times it's the people that we disqualify, discredit, and discount that yeah. often are the ones that are in touch with the spirit and actually get the revelation of truth before the church people do. Uh, I was talking to somebody on yesterday and they were sharing how uh, there, there's a healing process going on, uh, but the individual is very, very churchy that uh, they're having the problem with. And the scenario is such that that churchiness does not address the fact that you're mean, that you're evil, that you're selfish, that you don't uh, treat people well, uh, including your loved ones. And, and somehow or another, you hear all of these and, and, and can go back and regurgitate all the teachings of these great preachers and everybody that they watch on TV, great theologians, great pastors, great uh, uh, men and women of God that people look up to, the pastor at their church, but completely out of touch with your own behavior in your own town. <laughs> I mean, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I actually don't find that uh, unusual because when you think you know, you're less likely to accept the simplicity of what you see and observe. The people, the Jews have been for untold generations waiting for the Messiah. And so they think they know how he's going to come, what it's going to be like. Uh, they already have preconceived notions of who Christ will be and, and what he's coming for. So when they, the real Christ appears and doesn't uh, conform to their preconceived notion, they're, of course, like, well, this can't be it. This is not what we were looking for. And I like your usage of the word when the real Christ, because Christ always is the anointed one. So I, I always drop the one because we all are anointed. And it's like when the anointing comes, many times people are unable to recognize the anointing. And this is my thing. You got this huge star that people are able to follow <laughs> from a whole other territory and country. They're able to follow that star and get to the anointing and the anointing is resting right there in your midst and you don't even know it. Isn't that amazing? I think that the, the greatest way of seeing that unfortunate scenario is that sometimes we don't even have to go outside of ourselves. Sometimes it's our own anointing that we don't see that the Messiah, the anointing, the, the gift that has been prophesied all of this long over the years. And, and I love to say when God thought of you, you were a word and were created to communicate something on this planet for such a time as this. And then whatever respective year you were born, the word in his mind that he had from the foundation of the world 
that word was made flesh in the person of who you are. But yet and still, and, and I'm gonna let people kind of digest that for a minute, because for some people that's almost like a, a statement of heresy. But a word is something that's created to communicate something. And if we ever come to the reality of purpose, God created every last one of us to communicate something in the earth realm during this time and during this season. But so many times, and I think, doesn't that, isn't that what allows us to be uh, manipulated, mistreated, abused by people in our lives? And it, it takes us a minute to really kind of come to ourselves and take ourselves back. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. Now, I, I have a question here. Yes. <laughs> as far as the, the prophecy of Christ coming, was that something, was that widely known or was that, did the angels just, was that a select group of people, Joseph, Mary, and, you know, whosoever? Well, the angels made the announcement to Mary and Joseph, uh, but uh, the prophecy of his coming had been for centuries. They had been prophesying it for centuries. And that's why I said even so when Isaiah began to prophesy of and begin to give the foretelling of him coming and begins to identify the location and the whole coming from the branch in Bethlehem of Judea, all of that begins to become the fulfillment of, and, and again, Bethlehem being the branch, uh, whether it was Judea or Galilee, to me, it really doesn't matter. He was born. But at the end of the day, it's all fulfillment. You see fulfillment of prophecy that comes from the Psalms. You see all through scripture in the Old Testament, words that are foretelling of Jesus coming. But then you have, you have the angel, but then the angel goes out, as Sheila brought out on last week, where do the angels go and start decreeing and declaring right off the bat? They start going to the common people, shepherds out there in the field by night, just out there taking care of their flocks. And they begin to go and, 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 and make that beautiful announcement. So um, initially to Joseph, uh, so that he could even marry, go ahead and go through with the process of taking Mary uh, as his wife. The angel came in and begins to decree and declare. And then we have the salutation to Mary and all of that that goes on between Mary and Elizabeth and the angel begin to speak. All of that to them, because, and I do believe this, if God has a word that's relative to your life, he's going to speak to you directly. Right. He doesn't have to go through John, Jim, and Jane. <laughs> it's going to be confirming word of something that he spoke to you directly. Now, see, that gave me a thought about the star. The star is there in the sky, but <clears throat> only the people who were spiritually in tune would probably pay attention to the star. The prophecy had been going forth and people had just probably gotten complacent, like, well, oh yeah, he's coming, he's coming, all right, okay. They hadn't seen any, any sign yet. I mean, they hadn't seen, they didn't see the anointing or realize the anointing around them. So after a while, they just got complacent and they, all these things were going on around them, all these signs at the time of, Christ's coming and nobody 
They paid, nobody paid attention. They just. You know, and I think to that point, that's a good point, Maynard, but I think to that point, I, the, the scripture said, and there shall be a sign that shall be to all people, but I don't think that the old prophecy necessarily said specifically what the sign was. And therein comes the problem because I think that a lot of times, like Sheila said, when you think you already know, right uh, they have in their idea and their minds you know you hear and doesn't that happen even today a lot of times even in the prophetic realm when people and a lot of this what they call prophesying really is not prophesying but even in the prophetic realm i do know that there are two prophets and there are two prophecies even in that realm i think what begins to become problematic people start interpreting and putting specifics to something that was given in the prophecy so he may have said I'm coming, and somebody says in their mind, oh, he's coming from the east. Well, he didn't say he was coming from the east. He just said he was coming, or he's coming in a, in a Toyota. Well, he may be coming in, in a, 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 Honda, a, a Honda, you know, but because as times go, and I think sometimes it becomes perverted and polluted because people start teaching their opinions as if it's fact. Yeah. And so since I'm teaching this as fact, and rather than, oh my God, the day of people having the ability to think critically for themselves, it, uh, it's definitely among us now, but it always has been. But how many times is the case not that people hear a leader or a trusted one because they've done no search, no personal relationship, no personal study or anything like that themselves. They hear this person make this statement and now all of a sudden, this is what I believe. Well, why do you believe it? Because that's what they said. Well, they may have taken something and perverted it. Right. So then when it actually manifests, I can't embrace that because they've been teaching me down through the years. He's coming in a Honda. And I know that wasn't him because he came in a, 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 a Subaru. So you get all of this resistance. And I mean vehement resistance. Yeah. People want to fight you and kill you over stuff that the Bible did not say. They didn't read it because they didn't have to read the Bible anyway. But then if they did take it from somebody that is read in scripture, did they add their interpretation to it? And now you've got a multitude of people that when the anointing, when Jesus the Christ shows up, they don't even recognize that it's him. Which then takes me back to that point so many times. It's the Magi from the East that are no way affiliated with this whatsoever that actually are spiritual enough that they see the sign, even though were they getting the prophecies of the Jewish uh, uh, prophetic of the Messiah? Probably not, because that was for the Jewish people. Right. But without any foreknowledge or minimal, even if it got around, because you know how it is, people want to say, oh, you know what they believe? They believe X, Y, Z. They don't even go to that church denomination or affiliation, but they want to start saying what they believe. I tell you what they believe. Da, 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 da. I never forget, I was in a, a, a religion class and they got on Church of God in Christ and they start talking about all the cult people that follow Church of God in Christ, which happened to be the denomination that I came from, and started talking about how we worship C.H.H. Mason. And I mean, they talk, They were talking about worship him, worshiping him like other faith traditions have a revered leader that is almost, I, I want to go past leader, that um, 
is embraced as a, 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 a god almost. So all I could do was sit there and listen. And I mean, this is coming from the instructor of the class because he's read it in his books and this is what the book said. And I'm like, and so what the point that I did bring up, if you're going to say what Church of God in Christ people believe, notwithstanding that I do belong to Church of God in Christ, and I can tell you what you're saying is not correct. If you're going to teach it as belief, the first thing you should do is at least have some level of immersion. You go to Church of God in Christ, and I can tell you even being Church of God in Christ, having come from it, depending on what Church of God in Christ you go in what location, you can get two totally different teachings from that same denominational faith. So you cannot just automatically assume that you can make this blanket statement about all people when that's not the case. And I think the same is true when we start talking about any kind of religion. There are sects within all of those respective religions. And I don't think we are safe to make blanket statements about anybody. And definitely, if you haven't even tried to in immerse yourself, an immersion, I believe in immersion. If I'm going to talk about something, at least go and spend time, have conversation with, uh, talk to. My biggest eye-opening experiences when I was in interfaith council is when I really became very close with both a Muslim, uh, a Hindu, a Buddhist, and also a Jewish individual. And I began to find out that much of this stuff that I had been taught about these faiths was bunk, was absolutely false, because it had been taught, taught and repeated by somebody from the outside that knew nothing about those faiths. But we stand up real quick, fast, and in a hurry and make these empirical statements like we know what we're saying and it's not so. So I'm, and, and I went all the way over there, probably went too far, but possibly they had heard that the Jews believe and what they believe. But still, from the East, do I think that they were pra practicing Judaism or what? It, probably not. But at the end of the day, they had enough wherewithal and connection to the spirit to look up and say that star we need to follow that star and we're looking and expecting that wherever that star leads there is a king and these are people who were known even from antiquity for interpreting astrology so their observation of the stars and observation of uh, alignments and what happens and what's being told or foretold by the yes. stars, that's something that they did all the time. Exactly. So when they see this star uh, appear, then they interpret it immediately as there is a king being born and this is a king of the Jews. Now they knew where to go to find Jewish people, but apparently they did not know where this child was to be born. That's why they stopped and asked Herod. Yes. But um, they understood enough to know that there is a king being born. We see the sign of it. 
Exactly. I, I want to read this paragraph from the Star of Bethlehem, and it says, many Christians believe the star was a miraculous sign. Some theologians claim that the star fulfilled a prophecy, which was known as the star prophecy, which is found in, in Numbers 24, 17, and is applied by the Jewish zealots and many early Christians. Uh, astronomers have made several attempts and have linked the star to unusual celestial events that were occurring in conjunction with Jupiter and Venus and comets and supernovas that were going on at that time. And these were already studying the stars. So, you know, you had people that, as Sheila said, they were already known for studying in these areas. It just was not something that everybody else was doing. Now that brings up for me in our modern theology, do we believe that we should use all of the terrestrial, in anything that relates to our existence, should we be open to any and all of that to uh, engage our spirituality? Absolutely. Ooh. I mean, uh, in the Psalms, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Uh, if you go out into nature, I know you have mentioned, Regina, many times how water and waterfalls and rivers and things, how they speak to your spirit. God speaks through everything because it's all his creation. Absolutely. So, so you know, for some people being with animals and, and some people raising flowers or raising a garden of vegetables, whatever it is, or music. Whatever it is, of course, God speaks through it. I'm interested, and, and, and I thank you for that. I'm interested in, and I think it was Rashida, that we went somewhere and the guy said he owned uh, like tree, fields of trees, and he was what we would call a tree hugger. He actually went, and when people had trees and whatnot that got sick, Part of that was he would hug the tree and he had his own, I don't even know what to call it, but he, he had some kind of sense of spirituality with the trees and the trees would heal. And this is what he did for a job. Do you remember that? Was that you? Yeah, yeah. So, and I, while he was talking, I was just really blown away because I really hadn't, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, I really hadn't thought about it from that standpoint but when i listened to his passion and the connection that he had and he the man is wealthy <laughs> that that was the other thing because they had like i can't remember how many acreages of land that he owned but this is what he did from place to place now i know for some of us that's like now that's just going too far but just like you said, everybody has a different relationship with different things. And uh, just like the whole concept of a Dr. Doolittle, and there are all kinds of people that have had uncanny relationships and developments with different uh, animals in nature and in the wild and made uh, world altering discoveries from that relationship that they've shared and that camaraderie and that oneness that they have with whatever particular species or many or whatever the case may be the astronomers that are looking up or whatever all of these are means by which i think we have to learn how to reopen these areas of our lives where our spirituality has become so narrowly one-dimensional and that is i hear the preacher or I hear the sage 
from whatever uh, faith tradition I'm involved with, do all the speaking and I try to absorb and take in everything that they're saying and learn from that. When the reality of it is, you can develop within your own realm, whatever it is that God has given you. And we all have something, whether it's music, whether it's tree hugging, whether it's talking to the animals, whether it's the stars, whether it's nature, whatever. And I don't think we have to limit ourselves from to, to one thing, but I think that sometimes we do have an area of expertise. There are some things that speak to me that may not speak to you guys and vice versa, but I think we all have to open ourselves to the place of let God speak to me, let God speak to my spirit from any of these directions and not be closed off to it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Whereas I think modern, particularly Christianity, uh, I, I, I'm not going to go into the other faith traditions because I haven't learned them as well, even though I do know the other faith traditions um, from my exposure in interfaith council, many of them are a lot more open to the world and nature, whereas Christianity, I think, has made it very narrowly um, uh, viewed in many instances, where anything outside of these 66 books that we teach, anything, out, and, and even as you said, Sheila, the Bible says clearly, the heavens declare his glory and his splendor, but we, other than to read that passage of scripture, for morning devotion or opening scripture at a church, we really don't believe that if I go out into the heavens that the heavens are actually talking to me. We really don't believe that. And when you start getting into that realm, now you done got strange and got into this new age movement. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> I mean, really, yeah. I, I, I just, I think it's so interesting that we've narrowed it down uh, so much to just a very restricted and limited window. And probably if people heard what we're discussing here today with the liberty that we have, some people would see it as heresy. Do you agree or disagree? Some people might, but um, again, how can you limit God? How can you tell the creator how to interact with his creation? God interacts with the creation however God chooses to. It's a sovereign being. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which, you know, even the whole, as you said, he interacts with his creation however he wants to. Uh, and what I always hear when I tell people that I believe with all my being that the Lord called me to preach, well, if the Lord can use a donkey, then he can use a woman. And I find that almost personally as an insult, but it, particularly in the way that's usually said. But if you really believe that God can make a donkey talk, and, and, and even the talking, was it literally words in the English language for us being English speakers? Or was it that that individual was able at that precise moment to open up their mind and their spirit to hear a brain donkey and understand what the donkey was brain? Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's almost like in the New Testament, if I bring it over to that element, when uh, uh, Saul heard God speaking, but all the other people heard was thunder. Mm -hmm. So there's that reality that sometimes you can have five people in the same location and one or two people hear it 
and the other three hear something totally different because they are in a carn carnal realm. And I'm using carnal in this instance as in not connected to their spirit, where they're unable to discern and understand. And then let's even deal with the reality. Sometimes it's not meant for me to hear what's being spoken to you in the spirit realm at that particular time. And so it's for me to hear thunder and for you to hear a voice of God. And it doesn't even there necessarily make me non-spiritual. It just wasn't for me at that given point in time. True. Yeah. So here we have Herod privately calling the wise men. And uh, so needless to say, when you got people coming into your territory and they were obviously wealthy, uh, and we'll get to even the idea of the frankincense, gold, and myrrh and, and, and get to it from the standpoint of Jesus was not poor. For everybody that wants to make him perpetually be this pauper that was born in a manger in all of the, the poop and stink and squalor of, of, of a manger with the animals, the fact that provision was, number one, if they were magi and wise men and they knew they were coming to see a king, they would bring a king's gift. <laughs> and if, you know, I can get in a whole nother teaching about the frankincense, gold, and myrrh and the wealth and the value of that at the time that Jesus was born uh, and the value that it brought on its own merit, just them bringing that to him uh, was phenomenal. So we, 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 we see Herod, people are coming and bringing this, a king's gift in my country and they're not bringing it to me. Where is he at? Yeah. So from jump, my question and antennas go up immediately. What was Herod's motive and intention from the beginning? to destroy and and to uh, squash that political rival. Not in my country. Mm -hmm. Not in my gates. Not, and not to mention, you bought frankincense, gold, and myrrh, and you brought me nothing. You didn't, in today's time, you didn't even bring me an offering. <laughs> Where is my gift? <laughs> you know, right. I mean, really... I've heard literally preachers get up and it's like, you don't come in their church to preach without bringing them a gift. What? That being interpreted. <laughs> Money. Clothes. Some kind of something of substance and materialistic va value for you. What are we doing? So here we have Herod and, 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 and that speaks to as well uh, how that same Herodian spirit has, hasn't gone anywhere. When you find leadership that's operating from that realm and that perspective, more times than not, when they see or know the anointing is somewhere close, their first inclination is to squash it. I don't care how they come, trying to look friendly, trying to act friendly, Tell me where he's at so I can take him a gift too. And I think sometimes because we are coming back into the awareness and getting connected with our spiritual, the God within us that allows us to be able to discern rightly. I think sometimes we have to identify, and, and I don't think I'm the only one. I think this happens more times than not. We can look back and identify people that came 
uh, uh, looking like they wanted to bring a gift, but their whole motive from day one was to crush, kill, and destroy. Absolutely. And, and uh, this is maybe a little bit off of the subject, but as I read the, the text this week, um, what spoke to me personally yes. is that just because you have a certain intention in your heart, you cannot assume that other people have that same intention. And sometimes you have to wait to hear from the Lord, just like the Lord said, uh-uh, don't go back by Herod's place. That's right. Sometimes you have to wait to hear from the Lord because the way that I was raised, okay, somebody does something or I, I'm doing something nice for somebody and they seem to have the same heart that I do. So I want to, you know, go out there and, and continue giving. But sometimes that person does not have the same heart, the same mind, the same intention at all. And their uh, uh, association with you is going to be destructive. So you've got to learn, that me, I'm talking to Sheila, you've got to learn to wait, listen to what God says, and then act on that because uh, you're simply just not trained to be uh, as skeptical as you probably should be. Yeah, alert, on guard, any of that, you know, because our guards are down. You mm -hmm. know, so, somebody, and I'm going to, well, I can say the state, the, the, the galactic supervisor told me the benefit of the doubt's going to kill me. <laughs> Because I'm always giving people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, uh, that, that, that alertness. And it is a matter of just, and that's why I say, once we get into our spiritual selves, because I think many times, if we're really honest with ourselves, where I've given the benefit of the doubt, or as you said, maybe been coming from a very trusting place. And sometimes it might, that. there was a check. There was a check. There was a check and a check mark and a checkmate. It was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and because of the upbringing, mm -hmm. so intensely taught to give them an opportunity before you. And it's like, no, don't give everybody. Sometimes you just need to go with that check. And that mm -hmm. check said no. <laughs> the check said no. And so, um, that again coming back into that natural spiritual intuitiveness that we do have if we'll just listen to it brings us to that next point okay so they use their eyes uh these wise men they use their eyes and saw the star and then followed it from afar they didn't care about how far they had to travel they weren't gonna just keep going until you get there so i don't have this anxiety but well good lord how long is it gonna take me to get there how far should i go before i think well maybe i'm i done went out on the limb too far because i still ain't found the king i still they traveled and just kept traveling until they got there but now we get to the point now where in a dream Mm -hmm. the angel appears to them the word of the lord the revelation appears to them in a dream and so here we have we see the magi representing and speaking to us just screaming ever so loudly god is speaking to you from all different angles all kinds of ways when you get up from your dream do you identify maybe this was this was a word from the lord do we even stop to even think about our dreams? 
so many times a lot of people say, I don't even know what I dream. I don't, I, and, and, and I understand that sometimes that is the case, but then there are times when people wake up and they've had a, a, a earth shattering, jarring, shaking dream. And it's like, oh, I had it, but then, then do nothing to really try to find out what did the dream mean? And when I say do nothing, I'm not even talking about running hither, thither, and yon and asking you people, you know, Maynard, I had this dream. What do you think? I I'm not opposed to that. There are some people that have the gift of interpretation, even of dreams. I do believe that. But even to just stay in a meditative within to say, until you get an understanding of what the dream was about, if it was that jarring and that impacting to you, maybe God is trying to tell you something. You know, but we just don't teach the idea of the Lord speaking through a dream anymore. You know? Yeah. Do we tell our children? You know, and, and, and this is so interesting to me. We're trying to navigate these waters as adults because even though most of us were raised in the church, we weren't raised to be spiritual. That's going to be offensive to some people, but I'm not trying to offend, but I am trying to speak a truth. We weren't raised to be spiritual. We were raised to be churchy. We were raised to be um, uh, indoctrinated to dogmas and theologies and denominations and doctrines. But we're not the form that really denies the power. Nobody says to their little child when they wake up from a bad dream, what they want to call a bad dream. Sometimes we need to say, what was the dream? Because the dream, I can remember as a child, I did a lot of dreaming. And those dreams to me were considered to be nightmares because I didn't understand the dream. And the idea of saying to someone, this is what I dreamed. And I many times dreamed uh, of individuals passing, their death, their demise. And it wasn't necessarily a, a, a gruesome kind of dream that I had, but it was a nightmare and a terror to me because I saw a loved one passing. And so I don't, that, that's a bad dream to me. But then what really blew my mind was that those individuals would in fact pass away. And then I was traumatized. I was like, Lord, I don't, uh -uh, whatever this is, take it away. But that's only because I did not understand how to be spiritual and a dreamer. Anybody else have experience like that? I have, uh, not often. Uh, most of the time, I would say that I don't remember my dreams when I wake up. But if there is a dream that is very vivid and I remember it afterwards, it definitely means something. Some of them have been uh, a forecast of something that doesn't happen for several years down the road. And then when it happens, there's the you know, I recall Absolutely. this is exactly what I saw in my dream. Absolutely. And then there are other dreams that seem to be uh, almost nonsensical. But when I woke up, I knew what they meant. And, and that was the situation when uh, Grandpa Stillman died. About two weeks before, I had a dream that we were on a train and I was following him in different cars going through the train and the you know that to me made no sense in, uh, about a death but when i woke up i knew that's what it was and so on the day that he actually died as soon as the phone started ringing i knew what was going on exactly 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 and these are things that i think
that we need to teach our children, our grandchildren, as they're coming along so that they don't have some of the same misunderstanding, anxiety, fear, or whatever, or even to help cultivate and develop it. Because I think many, many times, man, I was having spiritual and prophetic dreams. I really, really was. Because what I would dream would come to pass. And then I can't tell you how many times I'd actually get in a location and I had already dreamed what was going on in each one of those rooms, almost like TV, picture in picture, video. I had had those kind of dreams. And when they would happen, I'd just be sitting there like, oh my God, this is like deja vu, so crazy and so bad. I don't know how to explain it. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm feeling, but I'm thinking now, man, if that had been cultivated instead of shut down by a child that didn't understand it, how powerful could I be today had I been farther along in that journey? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because I did pray and ask the Lord to tell. I was like, take it away, take it away, take it away. And so really the taking away was my, the God in me shutting it down. You know how you can go through certain places in life where it's so painful or traumatic or misunderstood to a level that you start shutting it down. And now that I'm finally becoming more uh, open and aware of what it really was, now it's like it's opening back up again. So uh, that, that brings me to the last point that I have. And then I want you guys to, again, have some input on anything that, that came to you as you were studying. The last thing was Herod seeks the child. And of course, I preached a whole entire sermon series off of that. He, he, he really, at the whole, from the very beginning, uh, at, 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 at the whole process for him was really about trying to get that child. And I'm not even going to go so much from the gift standpoint, but for me, I'm more so... In this time right now, one of the things that I see as huge, uh, I'm going to make it more so from the emotional standpoint for me, and then you all can come back with whatever, you know, we can, we can identify it and, and uh, 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 you know, associate it with the, your gift, your calling, your this and that and the other. But I really feel that in life, one of the biggest things that I feel is that life tries to rob us of our inner child. I'm going to say that again. Life tries to rob us of our inner child because more times than not, it's the inner child that gets wounded. It's the inner child that gets hurt. It's the inner child that gets abused. And when I say inner child, I'm not just saying things that happen in childhood. I'm saying the inner, inner child that has the ability to play, to laugh, to, to skip, to do all of the things, to imagination. I think that was my post on yesterday. Uh, you know, access your imagination because that hasn't been quarantined. And I don't know about you guys, but the thing that I loved about the Bible as a child, I love reading the Bible as a child because I had an active imagination. When I read the Bible, I saw this stuff taking place. My imagination made whole, almost 3D visuals. Like I had a 3D live and in living color because that was my imagination. Other things that went on in my life, it was my imagination. I could go outside and play with people, but I could go outside and play by myself because it was my imagination running rampant. The songs that I used to do, it was my imagination. The drumming, I mean, at the time that I started drumming, and I think Sheila and Nita can tell that I'm not lying, I was doing stuff differently than other drummers were doing. Everybody else was doing one thing, I was doing something else because of my imagination. So it's like that inner child that allows us to be free, to be unlimited, to be unrestrained, to laugh, to, you know, all of those things. 
as we, to me, getting old is when people start losing that. Uh, and I think that there's something about the inner child uh, that the, the, the life and existence that we live in right now, man, it wants to get that. It wants to get that part of you that can just joke and, and play and all of that, in my opinion. But that is the part for me, and maybe it's because of the aging stage in my life where I am right now. Even yesterday, going out to the basketball court with the basketball and just shooting hoops. Because the inner child is like, let me play again. Let me do something more than get get up every day and deal with stress and trauma. And, uh, and, and, and not that everything's bad, but you know what I'm saying? Think about your childhood when you were a little kid and the fun that you had and compare that to, do you still, is that little kid still present now? You know? And for me, I had to say, it's in there, but it's kind of hidden and I want it back. You know, and hearing COVID-19 is after the child, uh, church and its organized function and, and methodology is after the child. I mean, all of these things that have become major, major in my life and represent Herod to me are all after my child. So that, that's me. And I'm going to shut it down. But whatever you all want to share and whatever perspectives you have. Well, just quickly, uh, another thing that to me was a, an overarching theme is that, um, as I was speaking before, God does speak to you and God does speak for you. And so a lot of the things that we do worry about uh, as adults with our uh, culture telling us that we should be responsible and we should be this and we should be that, all of that is good, but I think it's also very much so that we need to let our child continue to live. You know, I have daddy loved cars yeah. and I have some cousins that love cars and, you know, they go from the hot wheels to, you know, the little uh, remote control. And then when they get grown, they may have two or three actual cars. <laughs> that they have in the yard and they may work on them and they may do this tinker and whatever, but it is necessary, I believe, for that inner child to still have some sort of interaction with whatever it is that they enjoy, whatever it is that they find fun, whether it's dancing, whether it's music, whether it's cars, some people it might be uh, other, uh, modes of transportation like motorcycles or whatever. Uh, for me, one of the big uh, calming and relaxing. Uh oh, you muted. There you go. To uh, continue to uh, nurture because that's what keeps you alive and young, I believe. I agree. And the especially as uh, representatives of Christ, you don't want to be that sour old, dried up, ugly <laughs> person. And the only way that you cannot become that is to keep the child alive. I agree. I love it. Yes. Oh, Maynard, I thought you were going to say so. 
No, not not then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think that and 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 when the scripture starts talking about except you become as a little child, and the kingdom of heaven is likened to, and it always brings up the children. Um, such is the kingdom of God. Uh, suffer the children to come unto me and forbid them not for such is the kingdom of God. I don't think it's necessarily just talking about from a logistical age, but again, the kingdom of God dwells in people that can always stay in touch with that child. And I said, there's a difference between, except you become as a, a little child, there's a difference between being childlike and childish. And so uh, somehow or another, we've interpreted our behavior and confined it to anything that's childlike is almost considered childish. Um, I can remember being scolded and, and stop all that laughing and joking. And that, but that's, anybody that knows me, that's my personality. It really, really is. I'm going, I'm going to laugh. I'm going to joke. I'm going to, all of that is just who I am. So, you know, the Bible talks about putting away jesting and, and I, listen, you know, y'all can get sad, sad, and sourpuss if you want to and looking like you sucking on persimmons and everything else i got a child inside that wants to come out and i really do feel like that is the vibrancy of the kingdom of god when we release that i think the kingdom of god becomes appealing and attractive to people because they've got child within scenarios that they want to live out and enjoy too they're not trying to come and and get old like we are so uh, you know all of that becomes very very important so uh, after archelaus came into reign then we see we see them going back to nazareth so uh that's that anything else that you guys want to add any points for emphasis Just no, that along the whole journey, um, everything was was made to conform with the scriptures. I personally believe that uh, Christ was born in Bethlehem of Judea because that's what the um, prophecy was. And even when coming back, because Joseph learned that Herod's Herod the Great's son was ruling in his office. He didn't want to go back to Judea because then he would have been under Herod's son. Mm -hmm. So then he went to Galilee, mm -hmm. but that also fulfilled the uh, uh, scripture that said that Christ would be from Nazareth. Yes. Yes. And that he would be called out of Egypt. Yes. Very good. Very good point. Well, this week, I want to understand uh, for our question for next week, the takeaway, look over the week. Is there a difference between being a Nazarite and a Nazarene? And if there is, what is it? The difference between a, being a Nazarite and a Nazarene, is there a difference? And if so, what is it? We often say Jesus of Nazareth, which he was. Uh, but he was also a Nazarene, which he was. <laughs> Am I answering my own question? But let's see, if, is there a difference? And if so, what is it? All right. Thank you all for letting me play with my technology. As you see, I need to kind of brush it up a little bit. But uh, we're, we're testing. You guys are my guinea pigs. 
okay. and I appreciate your head knowledge. I didn't know that Herod died in Jericho. I didn't either. I didn't either. And that he was born in Edom. So I was like, you know, little stuff like that. I'm like, oh, that you know, as for somebody that's been in and around the Bible all my life, it's like those kind of little tidbits that we never talk about and never discuss. It's like, uh, and I think the more you hear it too, it starts making sense. You start associating locations and people and why people did what. And like I said, even as far as understanding there was a Bethlehem in Galilee, as well as a Bethlehem in Judea, then I understand what the argument's about between the Palestinian and the Israeli. I mean, this fight goes on and on and on and on in different nuances that we don't even think about. Um, And so, like I said, I had to ask. So I know Jesus was, I I never thought about him being raised in an Arab nation. I I promise you, I just never thought about him being raised in in an Arab, Arab nation. So I'm like, you know, then all of that starts giving me a different slant on it too. So I hope you guys find it beneficial, but I will try to get it tweaked. Uh, I ran through it, I thought, but apparently I didn't, I hit those timings wrong, but I'll, I'll get that better. Well, I appreciate all the different nuances because even today, you know, of course I've thought about it um, surface wise before, but if I'm over eight months pregnant and I'm riding a donkey, that's gonna send me into labor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that was the argument. Like, you mean to tell me in this day and time, by that mode of, of transportation, and so you know, we're not talking about 68 miles is a good run in a car, but much less on a donkey, and then mm. add to it nine months pregnant. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, you know, when I read that, I was like, that's a totally different slant on it. So the Arabs are basically saying, no, it was Bethlehem of Galilee. And so even the distance of by mode of transportation, donkey and walking, even then when he went from Galilee to uh, uh, from Bethlehem, rather, to uh, Nazareth, that's still for that mode of transportation at that time, that still was a tedious undertaking. It wasn't like a a one day, a couple of hours and I'm there scenario. Yeah. Mm -mm. (laughs) Not no couple of hours. And they're moving all their possessions, whatever they had. You know, I'm just like, I know Maynard's like. (laughs) (laughs) A regular horse is a bumpy ride. I imagine a donkey's even worse. Oh yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, no. Because uh, the donkey speed is nowhere near a horse. And that's why a horse became so dominant as a mm-hmm. mode of transportation because it, it gave them what they considered to be speed. Mm-hmm. Like riding in a Ferrari or something for us. But, you I know. know was glad I, to get there. I'm sorry? I know Joseph was glad to get there. He probably was out all the way. You know what? It said when they got there, they worshiped. When they got there, it was the lad and Mary. It didn't say nothing about Joseph. And I was like, where'd Joseph go? I said, Joseph was tired. (laughs) Joseph was tired. I didn't say that in the Bible study, but that's what I was thinking to myself when I read the scripture. I said, it said the child and his mother. It didn't say (laughs) nothing about Joseph. I said, listen, Joseph said, I need a break. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, shoot, I mean, when you put it in context like that, it's like, eh. 
they traveled 68 miles on a donkey and she was nine months. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's too much for me. That's a lot. So, I mean, the rationale, but I go back to like you, Sheila said, this is what was prophesied in scripture. So, you know, I can embrace it. You know, God gave them the ability to, to do it. It, it, it. That's when, you know, it had to be a miracle, not just yes. the fact of the virgin birth, but Lord Jesus, <laughs> even the fact that she didn't miscarry and everything else in that scenario. I mean, it's just, it, it's just the whole thing is miraculous. <laughs> so anyway, thank you all for joining me today. And I hope this word on fire has been beneficial to you. Get your child within. Keep keep the yes. child within. Keep the child within. Stir it up. Give him a chance. Bring him back. Whatever you got to do, bring her back. Whatever you got to do, and stay connected. Stay connected yes. to that. I agree. That was good. That was good. Yeah. Love y'all. Love you too. Have a, Have a good day, day everybody. Have a good one. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.